Hello, everyone. Welcome to Pages of HR. I'm your host, Bianca Heron, lead editor at HR Daily Advisor. This podcast provides insightful conversations about HR-related books with the writers who create them. By the end of these conversations, we hope that you'll have actionable insights for your business, best practices to tap, and new information to ponder. So if you're anything like me, there's a good chance you're listening to this episode at home, something so many of us have been doing for two years now and will likely continue to do so for the foreseeable future. Now that remote work is the new normal, many of us are asking the question, where do we go from here? For this episode, I'm super excited to have someone who has spent his career studying in the workplace and has the credentials to offer thoughtful insight and impactful advice in his new book, The Future of the Office, Work from Home, Remote Work, and the Hard Choices We All Face. Today's guest is Peter Capelli, the George W. Taylor Professor of Management at the Wharton School and Director of Wharton Center for Human Resources. Peter, thanks so much for being here today. How are you? I am good. My pleasure to be here. Awesome. So let's just dive right into it. Please tell me what inspired you to write this timely book. Well, I, you know, I would like to think that I was so smart and saw this thing coming and we've been planning it years in advance, you know. During that previous year, since March 2000, two years ago now, right, um, I was getting a lot of questions from folks asking you know, what do you think is going to happen? If you're an employer, how should you manage this? And uh, I wrote a few things for the Wall Street Journal about this along the way. And I discovered uh, this was not my work, that uh, there had been a fair number of things written about remote work from an earlier period. So uh, I was just kind of assembling kind of what we knew At the time, the questions turned out to be reasonably timeless. So, you know, just to preempt a question, you know, if I had known now what I knew then, what I know now, rather, would I have written anything different? The answer is no, frankly. I mean, the questions are still sort of out there and they're kind of still the same questions, right? So, so it still remained to be answered mostly. Absolutely. And I, and I know for me, like I just said, working from home, it's come with uh, a lot of flexibility, which I'm completely loving, right? And a lot of people, there's a lot of talk going on about uh, is remote work here to stay or not? Do you have any particular stance on that in general, how you're feeling or? Well, you know, I like to think that I am really an objective social scientist looking at these things. And so, but to be honest, and to be honest, I don't really have a strong uh, normative sense. You know, we ought to be doing this or we ought to be doing that. I mean, in general, of course, it's it's always a good thing if employers will do things to make their employees happy. That's good. But they, they haven't, to be honest, really just done that for the sake of doing it, right? Um, so the real issue is kind of what's going to work for employers. And, you know, I don't think we, we quite know. It's probably fair to say that we're going to have more of this than we had before. But I don't think it's going to represent a sea change because I don't see, frankly, that it is helping the employers very much, at least not yet. So I think we're probably not going to see as much change as most everybody thinks. Why do you say you don't think it's helping employers very much? Well, just ask yourself the question, what do employers get out of this, right? If, if it's permanent remote we're talking about, then, you know, you're leaving your office uh, and going to work from home permanently. You can see what they get out of it that way. They're going to take your office away, cut the real estate space. 
If uh, the story is, well, we're going to allow employees to work occasionally from home, well, um, how does that help us? It doesn't save us any office space. It complicates scheduling. Uh, it makes the lives of supervisors a little more challenging. You've got some people in the office, some people at home. You know, I think the biggest thing to recognize is that work from home after the pandemic is not the same deal as work from home during the pandemic. So during the pandemic, we had no choice. Offices were closed. Everybody was in this together. We felt that we were kind of keeping our companies or employers afloat, maybe keeping society afloat. None of that's true after the pandemic is over. We could all be in the office. And now they're asking you, maybe if you're an employer, saying, okay, well, who wants to work from home and when? And once you ask that question, things become quite different because then you're sorting, asking people to sort themselves out. And we do know a fair bit about that because we've been studying what used to be called telecommuting uh, since the 1970s. And so what happens to you if you're working remotely and your colleagues are back in the office? Well, how do you think that works? Well, we have a lot of evidence on that. And frankly, it just works badly for the people who are remote. It could be it's great for your life outside of work, but your career suffers. Promotions are much less common. They're less engaged, less committed to the organization. They're more socially isolated. You know, it just does not work out well for people who are remote in those contexts. So, you know, given that, then how do you feel about it, right? So the other thing I think for people like you and maybe people like me, you know, you're doing the same kind of job you've been doing for a while. You're pretty independent contributor in your roles. You know the place, you know the organizations. If you're new to the workplace, you've never had an office job before, and you step into a place where you're working remotely, you're lost. I mean, you're really going to be lost, right? Uh, and if you're not an individual contributor, if you're trying to work with a team of people, this is just way more complicated. Unless you're going to sit at home at your desk and tell a, you know, tattleware makes you sit there by yourself <laughs> for nine hours a day, then it's not the same, right? As being able to knock on somebody's door, catch them in the hall, that kind of thing, right? So, so it's, I think that's the big aha here is don't expect it afterwards when we can all go back to the office if we want to look the same as it did when none of us could be in the office. Beautifully said, Peter. Thank you for that. But you have prepared an excerpt, is that correct? Yes, this is just a piece from the first part of my book, which is always a place to start. And please, whenever you're ready. So after a year and a half of offices being shut down, employees working from home doing due to the COVID-19 pandemic, white collar work all over the world is facing a fundamental inflection point. Evidence and anecdotes say that many of the employees like working remotely and that business survived, in some cases thrived. But many employers want to return to how things were pre-pandemic, while most employees want to maintain the flexibility they've grown to value. So now we face a big question. What's the future of the office? Should we all go back to the physical space and the way we were? Should we stay home the way we have been? Or should we do something different? So forget the fascination with other topics that dominate when we talk about the future of work, like what's artificial intelligence going to do or... What are these trivial differences in the attitudes across generations and all these other issues, which are largely imagined? This one could change more about office work than anything in a century. It's right on us right now. 
and we have no choice but to choose. Wow. Thank you for that. Uh, amazing excerpt, uh, already in tune with what we've just been chatting about. Love the ending that, you know, we have to choose. And it almost sounds like a reset to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the, I think that's true of, you know, different aspects of life that, uh, you know, you don't get too many opportunities where change is forced on you because otherwise change could happen, but it happens really slowly, right? And, you know, this one, what's important about it is that you can't duck this issue if you're an employer. You, you, you've either got to say, okay, you can stay home or no, you got to come back, right? I mean, you can't, you can't do nothing here. And I think what is happening, to be honest, most of the time is now is that employers are trying to do nothing. They're just trying to wait and see what everybody else does. And what we have seen, frankly, I think in most places is people have been coming back to the offices. There hasn't been any real fundamental change. There have been some interim arrangements that say, you know, while we're getting everybody back, we still have restrictions in lots of places, right? Social distancing and things. While we're getting everybody back, you can stay home two days a week or something like that. But it's all presented as transitional. The surveys of employers say that they disproportionately think we should all come back to the office. And if you think that's the case, then, you know, it's probably the way we're going to go. And you say that many HR leaders and organizations, you know, some many are doing nothing and many are waiting for uh, to see what other people are doing. Uh, what advice can you give uh, any in the book, a certain chapter or a couple tips that you have that you can point out uh, to point our listeners to? Well, I think uh, I think the issue for employers is to understand, you know, what might be in it for them. And, you know, if you make your employees happier, um, that's a pretty good thing, especially if it doesn't cost you any money. And this is not going to cost money. You know, that's the big problem. You know, employers, at least in the U.S., are perfectly happy to do things to make their employees happier as long as it doesn't require spending any money. And this one, you know, arguably doesn't. But if you want to do something like hybrid, a hybrid model, you know, first of all, hybrid just means anything other than everybody in the office or everybody at home, right? So you got to make a lot of decisions. So for example, you better figure out, first of all, who can do this? Uh, Some employers, I think, are trying to limit it to their, quote, good performers. I think that's really a mistake because for some people, it's a hugely important benefit and if you don't give it to them because you say they're not a good enough performer, you're going to get a lot of fights. You're going to get probably a lot of lawsuits too, right, for people who can sue you. Uh, one of the things you probably also should think about on the legal side is that if you think about who's most interested in taking more time working from home, it is people with caregiving responsibilities. And that tends to be women, and it probably tends to be women with children. Uh, particularly school-aged children. So if you say that, okay, uh, we're probably going to have a group here, a category that's disproportionately women. And we also know that at least historically, their careers have suffered. All right, you better think about that, right? Because you're setting yourself up for a class action lawsuit where you're going to have to prove 
that these people actually were worse performers and that's why they didn't get ahead. You know, so have you thought about how you're going to treat these people equally if they're in different places? And here's another one. You've got some employees who can't work from home. Uh, and what are you going to do for those folks, especially if the people right next to them or physically close to them can work from home? Uh, so I can tell you on our campus, for example, I think the administration thought carefully about this and they more or less decided that they shouldn't have their office staff um, be working remotely when the people they're supervising and directing have to be here with the students. It's a residential institution, right? Uh, and because of that quirky kind of inequity it would have in the cultural effects. So I thought that was... That's what you ought to be doing is thinking about those issues, you know. So it's not like there's a right answer to these things, but there are absolutely right questions. Those are a lot of the hard cho choices that everyone is facing uh, and that you're talking about in the book, too, correct? Right. And I think, the you know, the big thing is don't stumble into them after the fact, right? Don't just make a decision and then say, oopsies, we didn't think about that, right? Um, these are all things you know are going to come. One of my last few questions for you, Peter. What are some key things you hope readers take away from the book? Well, I think uh, the overall takeaway is that um, these are pretty complicated decisions as you know anybody who's managed people will understand, right? That um, once you make a big change in anything about how people are managed, it has a lot of knock-on effects. It has you know, a lot of um, uh, implications that we probably haven't thought through. Uh, you know, here, here's another one. If you're going to do any kind of fundamental change in the way you want to work in other ways, like you want to be more collaborative or whatever, this is the time to do it is before you start bringing everybody back because everybody's kind of already a little taken out of their routine. And so let's, you know, introduce these things at the same time. So I think that's really what I hope people will take away is that there's kind of a little roadmap that you should make for yourself about how to think about the decisions about working remotely, you know, for the employers in particular, what are we going to get out of this? What complications is it going to raise and how are we going to manage those complications? Beautiful and wonderfully said. Thank you for that. Uh, where can our readers, I'm sorry, our listeners find your book? Uh, I'd like to say better bookstores anywhere, but I'm not sure that that's true. Uh, everything is online these days, right? So Amazon is probably the quickest place to get them, but I think any of the online bookstores have got them. My final question here for you, Peter, what does your next chapter look like? So I was writing a book before this book, actually, that I just kind of put on hold for a little bit. And this is a kind of academic book, but the it's kind of a related question. It's looking at the way we manage organizations, but particularly people, and why we seem to do so many things that just don't make sense. Like, why do employers not train people, right? Which has just fallen off a cliff. Why do we spend so much time worrying about cost per hire when we hire people, but we don't spend any time worrying about whether they're good or not once we've hired them, you know? We just do so many of these things which seem to be penny-wise and pound-foolish, and why is it? And, and I don't think it's because people are stupid. So uh, so that's what this book is about. It's about the framework, which has kind of created an alternative set of incentives uh, for managers that have to do, frankly, a lot with accounting. 
as to why we are not doing things that seem to make more sense, even for the businesses. I love that. And I will certainly be a reader for that as well, uh, because that's certainly a topic, timely topic as well. Peter, thank you so much for being here today. I truly appreciate your time uh, and, of course, your insight as well. Good. Thank you. Absolutely. To our listeners, thanks for tuning in. Remember, you can always follow us on Twitter at HR Pages, and we're also now available on iTunes, Spotify, and Amazon Audible. Again, I'm Bianca Heron. Join us next time when we turn the page.